Hey there, welcome to another edition of Close to the Vest. My name is Arthur Ettinger, and I am super excited to talk today with Becky Fawcett about adoption. Becky, thanks so much for coming. I'm so glad to be here. So Becky, you are the founder of the organization Help Us Adopt. What is Help Us Adopt? Help Us Adopt is a miracle um, that works every single day to help make adoption more affordable to all. And I think a lot of people are like, what? What do you mean? And the answer is that an average adoption is about forty to $50,000 in full and upfront before you become a parent. And a lot of adoption, unfortunately, is very discriminatory in nature. Um, there are organizations that only think, even in today's world, 2021, only think that a family is a white woman married to a white man worshiping a certain God. And um, 15 years ago, when I became a mom by adoption, I took one look at that definition of family. And while I am a white woman married to a white man, I was a little sick to my stomach because that's not my world. And so I created Help Us Adopt to be the nation's only non-religiously affiliated equality-based adoption grant program. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It's, it was good before it was cool to be equality based. And, you know, in my world as a family law attorney, the definition of what a family looks like uh, has so many shapes and sizes. So this just fits perfectly in. And um, so thank you so much for coming here. We have so much to unpack. I know there's a lot. So (laughs) if you can, uh, I know this is very passionate. This is, uh, I guess, pun intended, this is your third baby. Well, as my children tell me, I mean, we've helped to build to date 417 families. So my oldest is always like, you look pretty good for 417 (laughs) babies, mom. And, (laughs) you know, it, it is, it is, I take my work so personally and everybody's like, you shouldn't be so personal about it. Oh, it is personal. Good you're, for you. It's building your family. And if I didn't care, these 417 families wouldn't exist. Totally. It's very simple. And I think that the more passionate people are about their work, the better they are at their job. Um, and if people think I'm wrong for thinking that, I really don't care. <laughs> I love it. So I would, I want to get into like how the process works and how you help individuals, yeah. but I just want to take a step back. Great. And I know that you, uh, you mentioned that, um, you got into this because you adopted two mm-hmm. amazing kids. Um, can you take us back to that time and, um, were you, you know, had you tried IVF, mm-hmm. um, and what led you and, uh, Kip to adoption? Kip, just so everybody's listening, yeah. Kip is, uh, <laughs> Becky's husband. Yeah. Um, so if you can just share with the audience. Yeah. Um, what- um, yeah. So we were the last of the dying breed, I think, to get married. We were college sweethearts. We got married when he was 25 and I was 26, which was the last of my friends to do that, I think. And then at the ripe old age of 31, decided I was, if I had to call my career quits and do, not travel and do everything stay at home. I was ready to have a kid. Turns out, um, that was no good. So we tried the old fashioned way for a year and a half and then went to see an infertility specialist. And we're basically told like 
forget Clomid, forget IUI. You are going straight to IVF and the needles. And I like literally had a panic attack. I'm like, oh my God, how could this be happening? Um, and I kept saying, I'll do anything but the needles. I'll do anything. But anybody who's listening, who's done the needles, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's awful. Um, Anyway, long story short, and when I say short, I'm not trying to diminish the pain and the awfulness. We did five rounds of IVF. We got pregnant the first time, and I legitimately thought I dodged a bullet. I really didn't want to adopt. I really, and I say that out loud, I will say that in front of my kids. I know it doesn't make me look good, but the reason I talk about it out loud is because I know I'm not the only person out there thinking this can only work biologically. Wow, yeah. You know, the narrative we are all grown up with is you will meet a partner and, and, and quite frankly, the narrative is heterosexual that we all grow up with, that you will meet a man or meet a woman and you will reproduce the old fashioned way and be pregnant and have a kid. And, and in today's day and age, that is not a good narrative to raise kids oh, on right. because of the statistics and the state of our world with equality. Um, so that narrative has to change, but when I was growing up, that was the narrative and I didn't want to adopt. I didn't necessarily want to be pregnant, but I didn't want to be different. Now I take any opportunity I can to walk a different walk. You know, if I can do something weird or different, I'm first in line to do it. But back then I didn't want to be different. And I ended up losing that baby at 16 weeks, which was awful because everybody knew um, I went out of the gate at 12 weeks and everybody knew, and I was a publicist. So, I mean, I had a contact list that was eight miles long. Um, and that was horrendous. And what was also horrendous, and this is where it, you and I have talked about this is where it falls on your relationship. Like you'd put $20,000 into this round of IVF. You've done all these needles. You have your, my husband had at least watched me become a mess. Right. Um, and then we had a miscarriage of 16 weeks. And then the next stressor becomes that no one around you wants to talk about the fact that you've had a miscarriage of 16 weeks. It makes us uncomfortable, they said. And I was like, it makes you uncomfortable. How the hell do you think I feel? <laughs> you know, and it was awful. It was awful. Um, flip to the end. We did five rounds of IVF. I got pregnant three times. The last miscarriage was uh, Christmas Eve, 2004. I ruined every holiday. I ruined every birthday. I ruined every everything along the way of those five rounds of IVF. And I ruined our savings. Um, and I don't mean I, I mean we. We spent $82,000 to have three miscarriages. I mean, it's just not normal. So, you know, we, you and I talked about this relationship-wise, is this is not fun. This is what not what anybody signs up for when they get married. And, um, you Can know. Can you talk, so a lot of people listening may be thinking about this, they yeah. may be struggling. Yeah. Uh, I've seen so many times uh, the dissolution of a marriage because yeah. somebody can't give birth yeah. and now they're trying IVF. Uh, just so the audience knows this to yeah. the extent they haven't gone through this, the, the woman is completely stripped of their hormones. It's awful. It's, you know, and I think the the... The sort of funny thing is that's not funny at all is that no one thinks man is suffering in any way, shape or form. And granted, I'm talking about me and my husband, like a heterosexual couple. If you are an LGBT couple, 
obviously the pronouns are different. Um, if you're a single woman going through this, you're going through it by yourself. But, um, you know, he was devastated. I mean, listen, my husband married a very strong willed woman who reminds him every day that she can do everything by herself. Um, you know, and that I only need you as a companion. Right. But like, but that's what makes, um, relationships thrive. Exactly. You know, because we're totally transparent about who we are and what we need from each other. But in this case, you know, he'd grown up with the narrative of the male provider. And here he can't give his wife the one thing that he's supposed to be able to give his wife as a baby. And granted, I kept reminding him it takes two to tango here um, because I couldn't hold them, you know. Uh, But I think the male portion of this is often brushed under the rug. And I don't think that's fair. Again, I don't think men really want to talk about male infertility and low sperm count and all these things. Um, you don't think men want to talk about that? I don't think my husband wants to talk about it. So I always tell him, so I'll go home tonight and be like, honey, guess what I talked about on a podcast for thousands of people to hear. Um, but you know what? We have to talk about this crap because it's real. And what a shame if, if your marriage falls apart because of this, I really am sorry because it didn't necessarily have to be that way. Um, maybe you were totally blind to what IVF is. Maybe you didn't know that it wasn't going to work. I certainly didn't know it was going to work. Um, but after going through what we went through, I get it. I get why couples don't survive. I totally get it. And what do you say to those people who are struggling? How did you guys Make it work. You know what? We made it work because we uh, we were very fortunate. I mean, we did spend every penny we had. Don't get me wrong. But after every disappointing, horrible thing, we went to Europe. So the answer is in Europe. I that was it. what we loved. Like we loved traveling. I, I and so good for you. You know, some people might like to go to the wine country and have a drunken wine fest through Northern California. Sure. You know, we went to Paris, we went to Rome, we went to London. We did and again So I, you I, made time for yourself. And I think we charged all of our infertility treatments so we had all these miles to use. So it was sort of a right. funny thing. I mean, you have I'm a funny person, I think, and I love humor. And I always said I'm going to do a stand-up comedy routine about infertility and miscarriage because there's nothing effing funny about any of it, which makes it funny. Um, But you have to find the humor in this. And again, I was committed to him. He was committed to me. But the bottom line is if at any point during that struggle he had said, I will not adopt, I would have divorced him. And I think the same is true. If I had said, I will not adopt, he would have divorced me. We were meant to be parents. Um, We were meant to be parents together. We have the two girls that we were absolutely supposed to have. Those girls have inspired helpusadopt.org, which has gone on to, it's just crazy how it all works out. But I think if you're really struggling, first of all, you need to seek counseling. It is important to talk to this, not to a family member or a friend who does not get it. You need to seek counseling. I didn't want to do it either. Um, I did not do a support group because I really hate support groups and older, wiser. I was a fool. I should have. Um, but we made it. And I just think that you have to be open to a different story in your life. You have to. You have to be open. You have to decide what scares you more 
does adoption scare you more? Does breaking the biological chain scare you more? Or does not being a parent and getting divorced scare you more? And that to me, it was not being a parent. You know, I, I, that was to me the most scary thing ever. There is no way my life would have meaning if I was not a mother. I know there are people who feel differently and that's great. And I support you in your decision. But for those people listening who think, holy crap, born to be a mother, how could this not be working? It's going to work in a different way that you never saw possible. Sure. And so, and we'll get to the organization in a second, but I want to, if you can, um, and if you're willing to share how the kids are, because this is who you are and a lot of people push adoption under the rug. Yeah. You're front and center. This is your life. (laughs) And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And now your kids, whether they like it or not, it's uh, front and center. Well, I mean, they've been on the Today Show. They've been in People Magazine. They've been on CNN. Like people ask me sometimes, not as much anymore, but they used to come in in front of the kids go, do they know they're adopted? I'm like, well, the cat's sort of out of the bag thanks to like Robin Roberts, you know, like, sorry. Um, So, and how, how do they respond? You know, because uh, I know my kids, they, everything has to be private. You know, how is school? Fine. You know, now there's something very personal um, and other kids, especially as the kids get older and uh, the age of the, your kids, Mm -hmm. you know, um, other friends and students can be cruel. Yeah. And so how have they embraced this? And like, if you can just kind of so, point to that. Yeah. So it's, it's funny, you know, they have a very a, a strong outspoken mother who has told them, you know, if this becomes a bullying issue in school, just don't throw the first punch. <laughs> just don't throw the first punch. Um, you know, and handle yourself wisely. And, uh, I got your back. I'm going to end up in the principal's office. They tell me I I could care less. I'll be there in five minutes. Like this is not a joke. Um, you know, and the thing is, is that there is, as I have told my kids, um, you know, the big, when, when did you tell your kids? Well, I never had to tell them because the minute they went in my arms as newborns, adoption became a word that they heard multiple times all day long. And because it became, I were, when I was going through it, no one wanted to talk about this. I couldn't even find adopted people who wanted to admit they were adopted. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with this? These are human beings you're talking about. They just had a different path into this world and we're not going to talk about it. So I just made this mama gut decision that this was not going to be something we were going to shy away from. And, um, It's just, I wear, you know, a lot of the adoption community does not agree with me on this, which I do love. They do not think you should be labeled as adoption. And I said, well, it shouldn't be necessarily your defining factor, although it quite frankly is my defining factor in life that I'm a mom by adoption. Um, But it is a label you should be proud to wear. It is who you are. You are adopted, just like I am infertile for the rest of my life. It is an adjective that describes me. And I don't know why anybody would not be proud of their story. And so that's what my kids are. I love that. You know, and my daughter, um, my youngest, had a school assignment recently. And, um, oh, it was about her name. 
you had to write about your name. And she, of course, hates her name's Brooke. She hates it. I'm like, oh my God, I love the name Brooke. <laughs> I picked it for you, but I'm so sorry you hate it. Um, and she said to me, um, I can't write this paper. There's nothing to write about. I go, what is wrong with you? That's my usual thing. Right. What the hell is wrong with you? And she looks at me at 11 and goes, what am I supposed to write? I'm like, you have the best story. You got two moms that gave you two different names. Start writing. That's so cool. She is Lily by her birth mother. And then it was changed to Brooke. Wow. She became my daughter. And she's looking at me and she goes, no one cares about that because it's become so normal to sure. her. And I go, you're going to get an A, start writing. Did she get an A? Yeah, of course she did. That I mean, is an awesome story. you know, I mean, it's just embrace who you are. I used to shy away because I was told all growing up, you can't be opinionated. People don't like it. You need to be quiet. You can't tell people they're wrong. And I didn't for so much of my life. And then I finally woke up and I decided, you know, what? I am opinionated and I actually have good ideas and I'm going to be part of these conversations. And now look what happened. Um, you know, we're changing people's lives, but like you need to embrace who you are. I'm a strong willed person. It is what it is. So I have to imagine not everybody has this healthy, um, evolved uh, view no. as you do. And they're probably coming to you. Their life is upside down and um, maybe they're second guessing their decision. Um, is, is, is it true that that uh, can be the case? You know, people don't want to be different. Right. The, our general human nature is that people just want to sort of exist under the radar screen. And I used to be that way too. Um, I, I just think it's cool to have a story. I think it's so cool to walk a different walk and to live a different thing. I mean, it can be in any part of your family. It can be that you wear your, you have international heritage and you wear those clothes every day and it represents you in a different way than everybody else who's walking down the street. It can be that you worship a different God and, you know, you have a different party organization of your day. And, and when you go to church or your, or your house of worship, it, it's just embracing a different part of your life. And when you adopt a child, you make a commitment as an adoptive parent to love a child unconditionally that you don't even know where that child's coming from. Like when you decide to adopt, you're all in before you even know what's going on. Sure. And I think that is such a great thing. It is not for everybody. I get that. It's, it's not necessarily the safe road, but it's such a fabulous, interesting road. And these kids are just kids. They're kids that need a loving home. And, um, it's how you present it. You know, it's, it's, if you tell your kid growing up, this is awful and weird, they're going to grow up thinking it's awful and weird. Sure. If you tell, like I was told I was awful and weird because I was so opinionated, like, okay. Um, but if you tell your kid, this is a beautiful story, your birth mother, I was in the delivery room with her. The other one, I was on the phone as she was flying to the delivery room in a car when my daughter arrived three weeks early in about 15 minutes. Um, but everybody has these stories and I've embraced their details of their stories and I wouldn't be here without their birth mothers. Sure. So they're part of my life too. And I think that isn't something that's 
modern day that in the past was you don't ever talk about it. You don't ever talk about being infertile. You don't ever talk about these women who birthed these children. Well, how disrespectful is that? Um, and we were told as humans not to talk about this. Sure. Listen, in your don't tell anybody you're divorced. Why? It happens. I don't need that advice, but yeah. But you know, I mean, back in the dark ages, this was like, you never want to tell people you're a single parent. You never want to tell anything that makes your family quote different was always brushed under the rug and not really talked about. And I don't think that's right. Sure. I get it. And so you, uh, every year, yeah. your organization gives ton of money to yeah. people to help them. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you can explain the process, like, how, is there a screening? How do you yeah. make the decision yeah. to give certain people and families? Yeah. So basically, if you are thinking about adoption, um, there's two reasons you would visit the helpusadopt.org website. Number one, if you're listening to this and you're like, I really am curious about adoption, but I have no idea what's going on. And that's fair because you don't know it until you're in it. Um, it is not something anybody really knows, but a lot of people will claim to be experts. So be careful on that one. We have a button on our homepage that says adoption. Where do I start? And it gives you. What's the website again? Helpusadopt.org. Perfect. Um, and it just gives you some guidance. Like you have to decide how you're going to adopt before you do anything else. Like, do you want a domestic newborn? Are you adopting outside of your race? Are you adopting an older special needs child from an international country? Are you fostering to adopt? How are you doing this? Because then you have to find an adoption professional that specializes in that business. Like, just like you wouldn't hire your tax attorney to do your divorce. You can't hire you, a divorce attorney, to do your adoption. You don't know the law. Got it. You don't, you're not educated. It's state by state law. It's not federal law, which I assume divorce is a little bit like that too. That's right. There's different laws. Um, you know, so it, it's the same thing. You have to find a professional that specializes in your exact situation. Um, Sometimes so you, if you're gay or lesbian, you need to find an LGBT friendly adoption professional. Now, the great news is there are a lot more of those now than there were 15 sure. years ago. If you're a single, I hear single women all the time being like, it's going to be so hard. I'm like, um, quite frankly, no, not anymore. It's a blip on a radar screen. No one cares that you're single. Like, no, you will be fine. You will find a birth mother. It is not a problem at all. Um, so these things are all great. The other reason you would come to helpusadopt.org is that you have no idea how you're going to come up with the forty dollars or $50,000. You maybe have 25 of it somehow, and you have this gap of 15, and you could apply to helpusadopt.org for that $15,000 grant. And the app, everything's free. Everything's transparent. There are no strings attached. We are not going to ask you. Like, it, it's just... Our organization is too good to be true. I just wanted it to be like that. It's pure help, pure help. So you can go on our website, you can download the application, you can read the FAQs, you can find out what we're all about. You can decide to apply, you can decide not to apply. The bottom line is this, we don't put any financial like income restrictions on it or anything, but here's the deal. In your heart, you know that you don't can write the check and don't want to, versus not being able to write the check. And that's the difference on when you apply. I will say, I think I can speak on behalf of all adoptive parents that none of us really enjoy paying for it. Okay. I mean, my first adoption was 40. 
My second adoption was 63 and I spent 82,000 on infertility all before I was 39 years old. Wow. And after tax dollars. So that's a lot of fun. Um, but I could write the checks. Those are the difference. That's the difference of the grant. Um, so we are looking for hardworking salt of the earth family, no matter how that looks. And we're looking for people who have made every effort to come up with this 40 or $50,000 and they just can't, there's a hole and we're the finish line grant. Wow. And have there been times where they get approved and then they have second thoughts and change their mind? Occasionally. So occasionally, like maybe once it doesn't happen very often, but occasionally we will give a grant, someone's adopting and they get pregnant. After years of unexplained infertility, they get pregnant. Um, We have a clause in our grant agreement that the money just comes right back to us. And that's fine. Um, I love that. We had, um, we gave a, one of my favorite grants that we give ever is, when there's a transgender person involved. I love that. That is one of the things I am most proud of because our organization stands alone in that support. And there was a couple that um, years ago we gave a grant to, and then they decided that they were not going to do this. And it broke my heart because I wanted them, I wanted them to keep the grant and I wanted them to keep going, but it was not my business. Um, And so I just had to gracefully say, we'll take the money back. Um, But I think very few and far between do people decide not to do it. Um, I think, you know, right now we always have a bunch of families in the process of adopting in any, we give money away quarterly. I think we might, I don't know, in the next year, see a couple because of COVID who've decided, I I don't know how fully the repercussions are going to come back from this, but I think some families are really hurting and they might decide that they're not going to see this through. Um, But that is obviously a very unique circumstance in our world right now. And so before I want to talk about the adoption process, yeah. like what it's like for somebody listening. But for those people that are listening that maybe don't want to adopt, but they want to go and they want to donate to your organization. Yeah. Can they do that on your website? They sure can. And you know, what's very interesting is that um, people always assume, and you know what they say about that, but <laughs> people always assume that the only people who support help us adopt are adoptive parents. Not true. Um, at least half of my board of directors has absolutely nothing to do with adoption um, technically, but they are parents and they know me and they understand the child welfare aspect that, you know, for years people just address adoption as this philanthropic act. It is absolutely not just a philanthropic act. And I, I would beg to differ that it even is. It is an act of necessity for our world. There are millions of kids who need homes. Like this is a child welfare issue. And so half of our board has nothing to do with adoption. I would say more than half of our donors have nothing to do with adoption, but they believe in family. We are a family building nonprofit. Like you don't have to care about it. You have to care about the children in this world. Um, We also have a lot of people who are infertile, who it did work for them. And they realized they could have been them who needed help. It could have been them. Um, So we have a very, a terrific group um, 
And I've also been told that we have changed the way a lot of Americans view adoption, which I take as a huge compliment. And it is one of my goals every day is to make this more, quote, normal for everybody to digest. Um, So that part's that part. And yes, you can donate on our website. It's very easy. And any dollar amount counts. It's a building block charity. I mean, we do one thing and we do it well, and that is award adoption grants. So the kids come home. So it is a very easy concept to, to grasp and to be a part of. And I always tell people with small donations, like, you know, you can still be a part of something. You're still a part of something like there's no question where your money's going. I just, you're a building block and this is terrific. It's team effort every day. Um, The process of adoption is not for the weary. Um, It's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, I will say that. And no adoption is the same. And the funny thing is that my first adoption was relatively easy, all things considered. It didn't feel easy at the time, but now looking back on it, it was 10 months from the day we signed with our adoption attorney to the day um, my oldest was born. Um... There were a few bumps along the road, but I really left there that experience thinking, how hard could this be if you have the money to pay for it? Right. And so does the, does, does somebody need, can they do this without a lawyer? And yeah, Yeah. well, you have to have a lawyer at some point along the way. So, um, you know, you can either use a lawyer or an adoption agency for domestic adoption. Um, if you use an agency, there is a lawyer involved at some point. I mean, the birth mother's rights have to be terminated once she signed those papers. That is a lawyer. Um, and then you have to finalize in front of a judge for that child to legally become as if this child came. That's what the judge says. The minute I hit this gavel, it is as if this child came from your body. You are fully responsible. So there's a lawyer involved at some point. And I have people tell me all the time, I hate lawyers. I'm not going to use a lawyer. I'm like, you have to. (laughs) You don't hate lawyers. Like you can't become an adoptive parent without one. Um, So there's that. If you adopt internationally, lawyers do not do that. It is international agencies that are here, but they're licensed in these countries specifically to do adoptions. And when they come to you to help us adopt, should, are they already staffed up with their advisors? They're already down the road. Yep. They're already down the road. Um, if people come to us thinking they're, we aren't startup money. We are the last piece of the puzzle. So if people come to us early, that's great. We just tell them you're too early. You need to be further down the road before you apply to us. And all that's listed on our website. I hope in enough detail. Um, but then once you come home internationally, this is what's so important that people think they don't have to do because it can cost up to $5,000. You have to readopt an international child here in the United States. So when you guys read in like People Magazine of some like 30-year-old person getting deported, an adoptee, right. it is because it wasn't finished. It is because maybe they weren't told that they had to readopt this sure. child. Um, maybe they thought, I'm not going to pay the 5,000. I mean, listen, if you're looking to adopt and part of your, where you're falling short is the readoption money. That's where we come in. Sure. Right. Like that's part of what we do. We want to make sure that your adoption is done properly. That not only protects you, the birth parents, but mostly protects that adoptee 
that adoptee has rights. And that adoptee, especially if they're coming internationally, needs to be a United States citizen. And that can only happen once they're back here through a lawyer in courts. It's a lot. So do they need an immigration lawyer or it's all done through the adoption? Well, now you're asking me something I don't know. That's fair. I'm not a lawyer. That's another um, podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If you're with a reputable right. organization, you should, they should handhold you Got through it. this process. You should be given. I always tell people like once you find your lawyer or agency, they give you the rest of the pieces of the puzzle. Sure. Yeah. Cause they've been doing this for years. I was just talking, emailing with an attorney back and forth this morning. Like she has her people that she tells you, these are the people you need to hire. Sure. Um, Cause she's worked with them for 20 years and they have a good rapport and she knows they're on the up and up and successful in their efforts. So. Sure. So, um, you know, a lot of in the last 13 months, it's, it's, we've seen a lot of craziness. It's a new world with the pandemic and the pandemic has impacted families in so many yeah. different ways, you know, the rise of domestic violence and people living under the same roof. And I'm, I'm curious for you in the world of adoption, has COVID uh, impacted at all adoptions and what you're doing? It has not impacted what Help Us Adopt is doing. Our doors, God bless, have been open and we have been operating as normal, awarding our grants, but it has absolutely affected the adoption community. So the first thing that happened is, um, you know, in December 2019, China, which is the number one country that people, the United States, Americans adopt from, shut their doors, shut right. their borders, closed everything off. Um, we have a grant recipient that got her daughter, I have goosebumps even just saying it, got her daughter home two days before border wow. shut. Um, she has a friend who was not so lucky. Her daughter, she was not able to get her daughter out. Her daughter had severe special needs and her daughter died in the orphanage without oh, a parent man. by her side um, because she could not get her out and home. And, um, I'm sure there are hundreds of stories like this. It is heartbreaking. So the travel ban was the first problem. Um, domestically, it, the courts all shut down because right. it's not, adoption is not deemed a necessity. Um, so that was a problem at first. Um, now we, you and I talked about this yesterday. So here's the thing about domestic adoptions and pregnant women is that this thing happens at nine months and that baby's coming out, whether you like it or not, pandemic or not pandemic, convenient or inconvenient, that baby's coming out. So domestic adoptions and placements, which is when the adoptive parents pl take placement of the child, those kept happening. But the problem became like, I have a friend and if she's listening, I mean, the poor thing, I've told this story a million times. Um, she is my example. Uh, she got in a car and drove to Tennessee at the drop of a hat because all of a sudden her birth, the birth mother she was matched with went into labor. There are no flights. Wow. There's no flights. So again, though, this is where privilege becomes an issue in adoption is she had the money to rent a car drive cross country. She had the time to go off work. She had all these things that were advantaged at her advantage because of privilege. So there might have been someone else who couldn't have done that. 
and who had to pass on that baby. And so there were some hiccups in the world of adoption um, domestically. Like I had another friend who got to drive to Florida. Well, not everybody gets, that's a privilege. Um, So I think there were some hiccups. I think there were some people who, you know, were just about to start adopting and just froze. I think there were some people in the midst of it who just froze. Um, The world of adoption was paralyzed. Sure. you know, and to be honest, like I, I sort of woke up in all of that on March 13th, 2020, when everything shut down. And I'm like, I, I got to tell you something. I started this um, nonprofit the year before the financial collapse in 2008. Uh, my husband worked for Bear Stearns. So all of a sudden our role in this nonprofit took an immediate <laughs> turn for the worse. Um, and I didn't go down then and I was not going down for this pandemic. Like awesome. I, there was no way this pandemic was taking us out. And I didn't actually know how I was going to survive last year. I had employees to take care of. And like, I just, I don't know. I went into my survivor mode. Like I just wasn't doing it. I wasn't giving up. I wasn't rolling over and playing dead. And I just started reaching out to all our donors, sharing these stories of, how the pandemic was affecting adoption because that's everybody wanted to give last year, but they only wanted to give to things that were being affected by the pandemic. So I was like, I got to educate you. And it worked. I mean, I didn't have my best year ever, but we held our head up high and our doors were open. No one got fired and grants were given out and we kept moving. Um, Now I got to do it again this year, but uh, (laughs) it's all good. And so I'm going to just pivot for a second. Sure. Okay. Um, you and Kip, you know, went through some tough times years ago. You overcame those obstacles and you talked about like the challenges and struggles on uh, COVID. Um, how were you guys able to overcome, you know, uh, all the, the horror stories that we have heard? You live in New York city, you're oh, yeah. it's close quarters yeah. and, um, Listen, uh, uh, answering the question for you, listen, if you can, if you can get past what you went through years ago. Um, I mean, but- that's, I hate to say it, but like, and I am very, I have a very blessed life. I also work very hard to overcome. As I just said, I, I, I as I told my employees, I'm, I don't fail. I did fail at giving birth. That did not work. But um, I like, I don't fail. I don't want to fail. It is not what I want to do. It's not how I'm wired. So I am the person who will work 70 hour weeks to avoid failing. And listen, sometimes I think you get lucky. Other times you have to shift gears, but like, that's my mentality every day. And so, um, it's so translatable in so many, I just can't, I can't, I don't give up. A lot of people find it obnoxious. Um, but I, I, I get one shot at this. I'm giving it my best every day. And a, a lot of people don't like it. I will tell you, they don't like that sort of, you know, I'm just moving forward, but that is it. And I keep telling my, my kids this all the time. It's like, I will never tell anybody to get over something. I feel that that is the term that is the most disrespectful of any suffering that anybody is going through. But I am famous for being like, how are we going to get you through it? We're going to get you through it. I got through it. I got, I get, I got through it. It was the worst, darkest time of my life. I suffered from depression when I was going through all that. It was ugly, but I knew I had to get through it to live my life. And as to how I'm wired, um, pandemic hits, 
um, before pandemic hit, I had been living that life of having a husband who traveled four days a week. So um, it was actually at the beginning really nice to have him home. And my silver lining from all of this is that because I don't cook and I hate cooking and I'm really not good at it, truth be told, my husband decided he was going to start doing all the grocery shopping and cook. Awesome. And it has been, I mean, he bought one of those fancy Le Creuset pots. I mean, we're talking like cooking, cooking. And so he would cook every night and we would work in, we figured out how to work in our house. Now we are lucky, very lucky that everybody has a bedroom in our apartment. So right. that really was the cat's meow and the key to success for us. Um, we thought about leaving and going to my parents' house. They live in Villanova, Pennsylvania house I grew up in. And I just looked at Kip and I said, you know what? The kids are going to be miserable. Their stuff's not there. Right. And I'm like, we're, he wanted to leave. And I was like, sorry, we're staying. <laughs> and, um, and my stuff's here. Like I, how am I going to work? Uh, it, it just became too complicated. And, and again, I'm, I like go, th we're going to get through this. I'm not going to run. And so I sort of made the household decision that we were staying. It was absolutely for us. For us, the right decision. I don't think my kids would have survived living in someone else's house, even right. their grandparents. And my parents probably would have lost their mind, to be honest with you. Um, and we started having family dinners. Not every night, because uh, you can't get two teenagers to the table every night. Right. At least I can't. If anybody wants to tell me how to do that, I am wide open for an email on telling me how to do that. Um and we just made the best of it. Now it did get to the point. I'm very grateful to now I go to the office two to three days a week. I'm right. very grateful to get out. My husband's office is not open. Um, he thinks he's fine working from home. I think he's a shut in and needs to get out as soon as possible. Right. I don't think he realizes that he needs to get back into the workforce, but the kids are going to school here and there. But there were some dark days. There were, I mean, living in Manhattan last April, May, even early, it, June started to get okay. But April and May were not pretty. It sure. was, you walked out on the street and uh, we have two dogs and we either went out of the house to go to the grocery store to walk the dogs. That was it. It was like you were on a movie set. Right. There's no one out there. So that was very weird. Um, you know, but again, You've read all these articles about these families having together moments and getting divorced. Um, and I won't say there have been, it has been argument free for a year and a half um, because we are together all the time. Right. <laughs> um, but it's been good. It's, I, I honestly, I, I love your story. It's, it's awesome. Just, <sighs> you make it happen and you, you. And I uh, keep telling my kids, you're living through history. So yeah. you are living through history. So, you know, not so like Kip and I will tell our grandchildren these stories, but these kids who are growing up in this, like this is their college essay, perhaps this is, they're going to be taking courses on this. I mean, this is history. This, yeah. we thought, you know, Kip used to joke that when they got around to studying the fall of Bear Stearns, he would come in and lecture in the class. Well, forget that. No one cares about that anymore. Now they're going to be talking about the pandemic. We lived in New York City and we didn't leave. I have some clients who are still 
uh, concern about the Bear Stearns collapse. Um, but, I call yeah. it the gift that keeps on giving. I feel like I'm reminded about that every so often, and it just <laughs> gets you. <laughs> well, we'll have Kit by the podcast one yeah, of these days. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, you're a hero. So um, other than the website, how can, if somebody wants to either donate or get your help, how can they reach you? Well, Website's a great place. I'm on Facebook, Becky Fawcett. I'm on Instagram, Becky Fawcett. Help Us Adopt is on Instagram and Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn, although that's not as social as the rest of it all. It's all all good. Um, We're not on Twitter because Twitter is hateful and mean, and we don't do that. We're not part of it. Got it. Don't want to be hateful and mean, and I don't have enough time in the day for that. So you won't find us on Twitter, but you know, listen, email us if you have, and, and if you listen, if all you can do is find the info email on the website, just say in there that you heard me on this podcast and relationship podcast with Arthur and it will get to me. We are not a big organization. What's your email address? Mine personally. Well, what info at helpusadopt.org. And that will get to me. There's only four of us. So really it'll get to me, but we'll answer any question. If we can guide you great. And if I don't know the answer, I'll try to find you someone who does. Amazing. So I have one last question for you. Um, I ask every guest that comes on, I'm a big sneaker guy. What's your favorite sneaker? Oh God, you're going to judge me. No judgments. I say that all the time. No judgments whatsoever. Even if you don't wear sneakers, you're going to judge me. You can just say no sneakers. I have quite a collection. Golden Goose. Okay. I, I mean, it's so cliche and horrible, but I do have a pair of Zadig and Voltaire high tops white okay. with a star that I do love. Okay. Um, you know, like pure white sneakers, which I wear in New York. I like tiptoe through the streets. <laughs> Are these white golden goose uh, with like a blue star or No, I gold usually star? go for the black glitter. Okay. Yeah, the three quarter sneaker. Got it. Yeah. No yeah, judgment. So there's a lot of judgment there, but it's, it's okay. okay. It's okay. Well. I appreciate you sharing, especially on the sneaker stuff. Yeah, and it's more bad. more importantly, on the <laughs> adoption. You're amazing. Thank, Thank you, you so much for, for having me. I'm really grateful to be here.